From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome back, everybody. We're happy to be with you again. We are. We always look forward to these times, answering your questions. We're grateful for all your questions. And we're sorry there are so many questions we get that we are not able to answer. We we kind of feel bad about that. <laughs> Listen, let that not discourage you from sending your question, though. Yes. Because hopefully the ones we don't answer, a lot of the principles that would help to answer the questions are in the things we do talk about. In yeah, the do the math. We answer maybe three questions on an episode, and we have thousands of listeners around the world. Mm. So put it this way, if you don't send us a question, there's zero chance that we'll answer it. Good one. If you do send it, <laughs> there's a small chance that we'll answer it, but a small chance is better than no chance. So we love you all. Everybody who sends us questions, we love yes. you. And in and I was about to say... <laughs> This is stupid. I was about to say, well, in heaven we can answer your questions, but guess what? In heaven we won't need to answer your questions. <laughs> They'll be answered <laughs> by the Lord. <laughs> so that makes no sense. In heaven we'll be able to... I was, I was thinking of the communion of saints that's timeless. Yes. We'll be able to go through all the questions. That's really stupid, though. I mean, that's like but putting you know us in what? the place of, of the Lord or something. There is eh, something. Wrong answer, wrong thought, bad there image. There is something good there, because in heaven... We will have the deep connection with every single person. That's right. That we long for. That we want to have. And that we wish we could have now. And sometimes asking a question is in part reaching out for that connection That's right. in the body of Christ. And we encourage you to do that and hope that those we're able to answer are um, you know, helpful so to them. So we, we feel you reaching out and we right now are reaching out through this podcast to connect with you. Exactly. That's a gift. It's a real gift. Thank you, God, for this technology. Amen. Well, I would love to know if you have any updates for us about the Theology of the Body Sure. Institute. We have some exciting things coming up. We have taken our courses online. I know our listeners, our faithful listeners, have heard me talk about this already. COVID forced us to do this, and it's been going really, really well. We've had hundreds and hundreds of students from around the world taking our courses online. Mm -hmm. uh, the videos are recorded uh, for the courses, but we do live Q&As. I was just on a live Q&A last night. People mm -hmm. from around the world on a Zoom call. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like 9 a.m. in in um, Sydney. It was sort of the same time in the Philippines or about that, and people from Singapore and Brazil and all over the United States. It was great ha just having a conversation live with all these students from around the world. Why am I talking about this? Because we have a, a couple courses coming up online. We have another TOB1 coming up. We have a TOB2 for, the first, for time. the first time. Offered for the online. first time online, the level two course. So you got to take the level one first. But if you've already taken the level one and you want to take the level two, that's going to be online for the first time. Go to the link below in the show notes and check out our course schedule. We also have coming up online uh, my favorite course I've ever taught. Yes. My course on... Mary, the theology of the body and the Marian mystery, which I just taught in October of 2020 for the very first time. We recorded it. It's going online, I think, in May. Uh, that one will fill up uh, quickly. I was about to say, well, it's an online course, so there's no cap. No, there is a cap. I think we do cap it. 
I'm not in charge of any of that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, check out the link below to learn more about the courses. And a special shout out to all our patrons. We got our patron community kind of revamped and refreshed with some new benefits. I just want to say thank you to all our patrons out there. We can't do this work without your support. And if you are not a patron and you want to get access to exclusive content and ongoing formation, check out the patron link and join us in this mission of bringing this message to the ends of the earth. We need your help. We need your, your support. We can't do it without you. So thank you, all you patrons out there and future patrons. We love you. We're so grateful. Shall I Let's start with a question? It. This is from an anonymous woman. She says, I am 33 and waiting for responsible love and marriage. Mm. Ooh, I like the way she put that. My boyfriend, a practicing Catholic, recently disclosed his past to me, and it is very overwhelming. Mm. He has caused and experienced so much pain and suffering mm. that I feel no longer physically attracted to him at this moment. I have forgiven him, but somehow my natural attraction to him has faded. Do you think this feeling will pass? How can a painful past become a source of strength, healing, and somehow mysteriously love and bonding? Mm. Wow, steep stuff. Wendy, I know you can speak into this because of our situation when we were dating and engaged and my sharing with you my past. Uh, so we can we can speak into that hope. The hope is real. Redemption is real. And so is the pain. The pain is real. This uh, precious anonymous woman, she asked, do we think that feeling, that pain will, will pass? And I would say... I, I think it will lessen. It will lessen significantly. And the weight you're carrying now, the burden you feel right now, will, will not always be as heavy as it feels right now. I, I think you need to give yourself permission to feel the weight of it, mm -hmm. but not to, uh, how to say it, um, to feel the weight of it with the Lord, not on your own. Feeling the weight of it on your own will crush you. But to, in union with Christ's suffering heart, your boyfriend, the, the, what he has done, Christ has already borne the weight of his mistakes, his sins, his brokenness, his wounds, and the wounds of, of everyone he wounded. Uh, the, the Lord has already borne that weight and has already opened the way for that pain to be transformed into glory, to be transformed into joy. And I would say your only path out of, of that pain is to feel it with the Lord and allow the Lord to open that pain to the hope of transformation. If you go it alone, it will crush you. And I, I, I've said this before on the podcast, but it bears repeating. I think one of the most pressing sins in all of our lives is self-reliance. We, we have such a tendency to think we're, we're, we're in this alone. Mm. I have to bear this pain all by myself. And that's that sin of self-reliance. Nobody can bear that pain on his or her own. Uh, so you are not alone. Uh, please don't turn to your own resources to get through this. Learn how to turn the pain you're feeling into a prayer. The prayer can become also intercession 
for your boyfriend and for the people he has wounded. That's how our sins, uh, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's what I want to say. That's how grace can abound all the more where sin abounds, when we unite the brokenness, the pain of the sin with Christ's redemptive love. That's that's how it works. That's kind of the spiritual math, if you will. Mm. But Wendy, you you as a woman, you you can relate to this woman's pain. What what would you share here? I love everything you said, Christopher, especially that where sin abounds, grace abounds, um, and kind of applying that more specifically to that uh, just opening up of the pain and the burden, placing it on the Lord, um, and how grace-filled that exchange is. Um, so I think that may be the most important thing, um, thinking about some of what JP2 says in Theology of the Body about the prophetism of the body, mm, about the ability of the body to speak truth, but also the, the ability of the body to speak lies. And I think some of that sense of kind of not feeling that physical attraction has to do with that desire for truth and to trust in the truth of the what the body's communicating. And so, you know, when you've now come to a place in your relationship where he's sharing this with you, that says some things about him and about his understanding of who you are, you know, both that he's not making light of his past and that he's um, weighted in the sense of wanting to build that trust in your relationship. And uh, so I think there, there are positives even about this, you know, yes. even though it's coming after yes. a period of time, I don't necessarily think that reflects poorly. It can, you know, these are very painful situations for him. And even that, that, you know, in his sharing, you recognize he's experienced great suffering in these things in the past. All of that is a sign of just grace at work in both of your lives um, and that desire for the body to speak the truth and recognition of the harm that's caused when we don't speak the truth with our bodies. So I hope that just that reflection can help you in your in your prayer for him and for your relationship and in your discernment. You know, you you aren't engaged, you're dating. And going through this together with your boyfriend is a test to your relationship. Yeah. But, but I don't want to put that in a way as though either one of you will have failed if somehow this doesn't lead to a marriage, because truly there's a great opening for grace in both of your lives, specifically through what he has shared with you. And if you can keep that open to the Lord, that in whatever way the Lord wants to work through your relationship in your lives right now, that you would be in his will for you. And his will is for healing and for grace and for growth, for knowing yourselves, knowing the other, and sensing his call for your lives. Whether that is leading you to marriage or not, I have no way of knowing that. But I know that it, that's the path, to keep it open to the Lord and to desire his will above all and his will for healing for you both. And this is so clear. So that's our prayer for you. I want to add this uh, from the male perspective here as one who's been in that place of sharing very vulnerably with you, Wendy, over, gosh, almost 26 years ago. Mm -hmm. 
my own brokenness and my own past. And there's a, there's a cry in his heart. He's making himself very vulnerable to you, and that's a good sign. And I would say there's a cry in his heart, can you love me here? Can you love me in my brokenness? Do you love me in my brokenness? And I want to affirm on the one hand, this is going to sound contradictory, but I believe it all gets held together. Uh, I want to affirm on the one hand, when she said, I, I don't feel attracted to him there. Um, as you said, Wendy, that prophetism of the body, we're called to speak the truth with our bodies. Mm-hmm. But we have to distinguish between true and false prophets, as John Paul II says. If we can speak the truth with our bodies, we can speak lies. And he spoke a lot of lies with his bodies, and lies are not attractive. Mm-hmm. When we speak lies with our bodies, that is not attractive. So I think she's feeling that. I'm not. She's not attracted to that, and understandably so. And yet, mercy goes beyond those mere natural attractions. The very word mercy, misericordia in Latin, means a heart that gives itself to those in misery. We could even say it's a heart that's attracted to those who are in misery. And he has made himself very vulnerable to you. He's revealing his misery to you. It's not possible in our own merely human hearts to feel that mercy and attraction to the misery, but it is possible as we open our hearts to Christ's heart. We can, you, both you and I have experienced this, Wendy, in our own relationship, in relationships with many other people as well, where we've come to feel in our hearts what Jesus feels for the other in his most unattractive place, mm. or her most unattractive place on the natural level. You, you kick over into a supernatural level, and you are drawn to the person's misery with love and compassion, a willingness to suffer with. So I, I hold that out. It's a miracle of grace, but those miracles of grace are real. They are real. So Amen. hope that's helpful. Our next question is from Shane. Hello, Shane. Shane says, I love the endless depth of Genesis, especially through the lens of theology of the body. Could you share a bit about how you reconciled the deep truths found in Genesis with the science of evolution? I know Genesis isn't intended literally, so it's not quite that I'm asking. I'm more wondering things like, did humanity evolve to a certain point as animals without souls, and then God breathed his life into Adam and Eve, making them human? Great question. It's one I've wondered many, many times, and my short answer to your question is, it's possible. It's possible. John Paul II talks about this in a, a, either, a, a, I think, a speech he gave in the mid-90s, in which he says, it is possible, if I'm recalling correctly, that our bodies evolved from lower forms of life, and at some point in time, God breathed the spirit into that body, and that body at that point became a human Mm. body. We don't know for sure that that's the way it happened, uh, but we don't need to discount what science is telling us here. And there are various theories. John Paul II in that document speaks of the theories of evolution Mm -hmm. rather than the theory of evolution. 
and he says some theories of evolution are compatible with faith and therefore we we can believe them pay attention to the evidence you know the scientists are saying this for 10 years and then they're saying something else for 10 years mm -hmm. and then it gets revisited here and there but there are some pretty solid scientifically verifiable things about uh, evolution that we should not dismiss mm -hmm. uh, when we do it's you know we we had to learn the church had to learn the hard way the the lesson through galileo you know when when we thought because of the way the bible had been interpreted for years and years mm -hmm. that the earth was the center of the universe and therefore the the sun revolved around the earth mm -hmm. and then galileo was like uh-uh i got some evidence it goes the other way well because people were so locked into a certain faulty way of interpreting the bible christians ended up looking like fools mm -hmm. because science demonstrated no that's not the way it works so here's the bottom line no truth can contradict truth so we have to reconcile what is truly scientifically verifiable and is not just a theory but is truly scientifically verifiable uh, that gets reconciled with scripture it has to because truth cannot contradict truth and i'm so glad that he pointed out uh, he didn't say it exactly this way uh, but shane pointed out that um, Genesis is not a science book, right? That's so important to understand. Uh, the scientific method was not even invented yet. We didn't know how to use it when Genesis was written. Mm. Uh, the Catechism says Genesis uses symbolic language to get at fundamental truths. Mm. So the way science looks at creation, the way faith looks at creation, two perspectives on the same reality. It's, it's like this, I often say to my students. I'll say, ladies, what's the difference between when your optometrist looks in your eyes and when your husband or your boyfriend looks in your eyes? Yes. Uh, and then I'll add, uh, unless you happen to be dating your optometrist, uh, then you get a little of both. Um, and it's, it's this. The point is the scientist is going to write down the scientifically observable information. Yeah. The lover is going to see a deeper mystery. The author of Genesis is not a scientist. He's a lover. So in the end, all this gets reconciled. I'm just kind of babbling now, so I'll leave it at that. But Wendy, do you have anything else you want to add? I hope that was helpful for you, Shane. I think the one thing that just sticks with me is that we profess belief in God, creator of the heavens and the right. earth. And we we believe that, that, that we call nature and all that exists, we call it creation because we believe it There's comes a creator, from a creator. Right. And so as we look at kind of the science and like it should inspire awe in us for our creator but we also shouldn't be afraid to recognize like maybe not everything will be explainable by science because we have a supernatural god in charge of yes, it all yes and so you know that that's both that's what yes. you're talking about that both next question is from bill hey bill Bill says, in one of your recent podcasts, you spoke of your affinity for the music of Bruce Springsteen. I did, indeed. Like you, I'm a big fan. And even though I do not have one musical fiber in me, I greatly enjoy his art. And I'm very grateful that he's shared his talent with the entire world. He has a song called, If I Were a Priest, that was written long ago, but recently released. In this song, he seemingly blasphemes the Blessed Mother and the Holy Spirit. 
I say seemingly because different people will interpret these words and the entire song differently, but it sure seems very irreverent to me. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to say, the first Saturday devotion was established by Jesus and Mary to counter attacks against her immaculate heart. In support of this devotion, it seems we should reject the attacker, no matter how talented he is in some way. What are your thoughts on this? Bill, thank you for that question, and I'm happy to give you my thoughts. And they're just my thoughts, you know. Catholics can reason, can reasonably disagree on these things. Um, I am not, you know, when I talk about my love for Springsteen, that is not by any stretch an endorsement of everything Springsteen does, everything Springsteen sings about, uh, every lyric he's ever written. I would have lots and lots of disagreements there with Springsteen. But I would I would caution I would caution you Bill against this attitude of because there's something in here objectionable even seriously objectionable and I I I know that song if I were a priest and I've listened to the lyrics and I I would I do not think he is necessarily I mean at first glance it can seem pretty rough he's talking about a whorehouse and in the same verse he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the Blessed Mother, uh, and it was like, what, 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 what's going on? Um, and I don't know exactly what's going on, and I, my purpose here is not to, to vouch for what the song means or doesn't mean. I don't know exactly what that song means mm-hmm. or doesn't mean. But even if, and I, I would say I don't think he is, but even if he were being like directly blasphemous here, should we re- therefore reject Springsteen? Well, we are to love Springsteen as God loves Springsteen. And Christ enters into our sin to save us from our sin. And as soon as we start saying, well, if there's something sinful uh, written about in somebody's lyrics, therefore I can't listen to that person, uh, you, you end up with Puritanism and not Catholicism. Mm. What do I mean by that? Puritanism is the idea that you can't be near anything or touch anything or be part of anything or contribute to anything uh, or, or, or associate with anything that has any mixture mm. of good and evil. Well, guess what? If that's the case, you can't have any association with any human being on the planet, mm. let alone yourself, because... <laughs> We are all, this is right in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, drawing from the parable of Jesus or the imagery of Jesus here. Uh, The Catechism says, the wheat and the weeds will grow in each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. That means Mother Teresa. That means John Paul II. That means name any saint, name any human being. The wheat and the weeds will grow together in each of us until the end of our lives until Christ comes back, until we reach the final purification, right? My point is this, we must be discerning in all of the art that we consume. We must be very discerning, and we must say with, okay, there's the wheat, and there's the weeds, and we must be clear on both. And because we recognize weeds, it doesn't mean we have to throw the whole thing away. If that's our approach, you end with Puritanism, not with Catholicism. Mm. So be discerning, Bill. Be discerning. 
rejoice in all that's good in Springsteen, and don't rejoice in what's not good in Springsteen. Uh, and, and I say that for anything and everything. And here, here's the point, another point I want to make. If you just say, well, you should only listen to Christian music, what does that even mean, first of all? Uh, I love what Bono once said. Uh, he said, he said uh, you know, when we start dividing between Christian music and secular music, and we put labels on music, that's Christian music, that's not. He says, do we need to put a label on a tree that says made by God? Mm. Uh, and his point, his point is this, that, that everything is God's, uh, everything. And we can take God's good gifts and misuse them. And, and I've done that in my life. You've done that, Wendy. Every, that's what sin is, when we take God's good gifts and misuse them. Every artist will do that. But to think we have this dividing line, good music over here, i.e. Christian music over here, bad music over here, i.e. not Christian music over there, guess what? There's a lot of stuff that would be labeled Christian music that has a lot of junk in it, like hu just human stuff that is part of sinful humanity. Well, it, it's going to be there. Just as over there in the what you might label secular music or non-Christian music, there's going to be a lot of good, and we don't have to have these lines. The line we need is discernment between where's the wheat and where's the weeds. My, my point is this. There's going to be a lot of weeds in the so-called church music, uh, and there's going to be a lot of wheat in the so-called secular music. Mm. We need to be discerning of both. That's my point. What about What do you think, Wendy? I, I'm struck by... Um, Springsteen in an overall way as an artist who, gosh, he's such a poet and such a reflector on humanity and his own story. And he, he doesn't claim to be perfect. And yet he continually draws on imagery from scripture and from sacraments and mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. the life of the church, you know, and kind of presenting that to a, a much larger population then would naturally be inclined to even realize it. So I, I feel a gratitude toward him and just a sense that maybe, um, you know, Bill might be called here in a particular way to be praying for Bruce as he's feeling this inner struggle yeah, about yeah, good this point. particular Very song good point. To, to look at the whole, you know, body of Bruce's work and say, okay, you know, I know there have been many blessings here, and I'm so grateful to the Lord for giving them through this particular artist and the ways they've blessed you, Bill. Um, and to to just take that experience of pain and also protection for the holiness of the Blessed Mother and the Holy Spirit, and to let that lead to intercession specifically for this man. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. You're 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 putting an image in my mind, Wendy of what I often do with my students, where I talk about the heresy of Manichaeism. Mm -hmm. Manichaeism is spirit good, body bad, where we give the devil his own clay, right? The devil doesn't have his own clay. All he can do is take God's good clay. God looked at everything he made, said, behold, it's very good. The enemy and sin takes God's good clay and twists it up, right? So absolutely, Springsteen. some of Springsteen's music is pretty twisted up. But it's the Manichaean error that says the solution is to take that twisted lump of clay, so to speak, and throw it away. No, the solution 
is to untwist the lump of clay. And that is painful. That's difficult. We have to die with Christ and learn to intercede for people and feel their pain and 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 be willing to carry it with them and come out the other side into the glory of being untwisted. The Manichaean approach, which is very closely related to that Puritanical approach I was talking about earlier, yes. John Paul II says it's a loophole to avoid the requirements of the gospel, the requirements of that inner purification, to just throw it away, to say, oh, Springsteen uh, said that really distorted thing, and therefore I'm just going to throw away all his music. That's, a, that's kind of a cop-out from the discernment that we're called to. Mm. Right? It's, it's, discernment is not easy. Uh, distinguishing the wheat and the weeds can be a painful, difficult journey. It's much easier just to throw it all away. Well, that's the Manichaean error, right? And that's what John Paul II means by saying that approach is a loophole to avoid the requirements of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that point came up because came up, I think that's very important. Yeah. I guess that's all we have to say about that for now. Thank you, Bill, for submitting that question. I, I know the struggle, Bill. Believe me, I know it. Keep pressing in, brother. That's that's my my word of encouragement to you and for everybody out there. Also, parents out there, I'd really encourage you. Uh, we, we live in a culture where our children are getting bombarded by really distorted images, ideas, uh, songs, movies. I mean, it's it's really rough. But we we have to teach our children discernment. And, and that is not an easy road. Uh, it's not enough for us as parents simply to say, no, you can't watch that. No, you can't listen to that. We, we, and there are times to do that. Don't get me wrong. There are times to do that. But we, we must, in, in the overarching story here, should be one of teaching that, that, that deeper discernment. Where's the wheat? Where's the weeds? In his letter to artists, John Paul II says, even when artists depict darkness and evil, they are in a way crying out for the gift of redemption. Very important, and it can build a bridge here to religious experience. Uh, let's build bridges here. Let's not tear down bridges here. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. Actually, it's not all I have to say about that. I have loads more to say about that, but I don't have time to say more about it right okay. now. We love you listeners. Thanks for being with us. If you learned something today that you know somebody else needs to hear, Hit that share button. Help us spread the word about this podcast. We're so happy to have thousands of listeners all over the world, but we want to grow this podcast too because we believe, not because we're so great, but because the gift of the Catholic Church is so awesome. Uh, we believe we have some pearls to share with the world, and we need your help to help get those pearls out there to the world. Mm -hmm. So click that share button, and until next time, know it. It's true. You are an unrepeatable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.